Hello, fellow Robo Capitals. Hope you're well. So, Fed comes out with a huge announcement about their balance sheet and quantitative easing, or maybe the end to quantitative tightening or the beginning of a new round of quantitative easing. This would be QE one, two, three, four, five. Well, I guess I've lost track. So, we'll just call it QE five. If they start this again, which begs the question, why on earth would they be doing this? If inflation was a concern, if they're not concerned, about a hard landing, then why? Why start QE again? It's not like their balance sheet is down to where it was prior to the GFC. But let's look at some charts, go over an article, and let's really think this through because it's important that we understand the dynamics behind what is happening here. We understand the plumbing and we understand the balance sheets that are involved. So first and foremost, let's go over to the Financial Times. And the headline, as you can see, the Fed's QE comeback. QE comeback could be dangerous. Will asset purchases restart before or after the treasury market gets upended? So there are some serious, in my opinion, flaws with this. But let's go through it because it's kind of the mainstream view. So the Fed has already started down the path to resuming quantitative easing. The question is whether they do so before or after upending the highly leveraged hedge fund basis trade. Uh, that has been supporting the treasury market as if that's the only reason that the curve is inverted due to a basis trade. Now, it has nothing to do with growth inflation. It has nothing to do with the hard landing. Uh, nothing. Just that that curve inversion. It's just forget all of the times that it's done that back to 1950. Back then, it had a good reason to do it. But now, now, it's just the basis trade. Give me a break. Back in 2018, quantitative tightening, the undoing of Fed asset purchases, was a simple affair. As bonds matured on the asset side of the Fed's balance sheet, banks would draw down reserves on the liability side to buy bonds. Um, okay, I guess. I, I don't want to get too technical here right off the bat, but what if the banks aren't buying the bonds? Uh, what if uh, the average Joe and Jane, what if a non-bank entity is buying those bonds? Uh, well, then what's going to happen is those bank reserves are going to go from the reserve accounts down into the TGA. And the TGA is going to use those to pay off the Fed. Fed's just going to reduce the, the balance of the TGA itself. But getting back to this, I don't want to nitpick too much at the beginning. The question then has, was how low reserves can go before they become scarce. So this is this argument that, oh my gosh, the Fed has got to do this right or else we're not going to have enough reserves for the, the the banking system. And my goodness gracious, this could cause a blow up. This could cause the the repo blow up, just like we saw in 2019, which is what the author references next. She said they reversed the ship in 2019 and resumed QE to maintain a floor system system for sitting rates. Okay, so the first thing that I would say to this person is, why are you assuming that? reserves matter. Why are you even assuming that banks use reserves? Because if we look at a chart of reserves, so here's a chart of bank reserves. And in 1959, they had right around 20 billion in reserves, 20 billion, 1959. So then we fast forward to 2007, they have 40. And you guys know, I use the example of 1980 to 2007 when the number didn't change at all. So when you consider everything that happened between 1959 and 2007, let's say. So that's 40, 47 years, almost 50 years in monetary history. And the banks didn't really use reserves because if they used reserves, then you would have had to have seen a, not just a change from 20 billion to 40 billion, 
but you would have had to seen a change from 20 billion to 2 trillion as an example. So this in and of itself proves that the banks, at least prior to 2007, really didn't use reserves. So then the question becomes, okay, well, if they didn't use them prior to 2007, why would they use them now? And if they didn't use them prior to 2007, how can the reserves get to a point where they're too low? Because just by definition, if they get too low, that would imply that the banks have to have them, but they don't. So right out of the gate, there's a, a fundamental flaw in the logic here, which is understandable because it's just one of these things that's said over and over and over and over again, and no one really questions it. Um, it's just said so many times, everyone assumes it to be true, even the experts. So they say this time around, QT has been complicated by the presence of large amounts of money market fund cash sitting in the Fed's overnight reverse repo facility. Again, as if the only thing uh, that matters here is the supply side, and the only thing that matter, matters on the demand side is just the amount of money in reverse repo. So if the amount of money in reverse repo goes down and this gets down to zero, oh my gosh, now there's not going to be any money to buy treasuries. No one's going to want them. And the interest rates are going to go to 100%. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but, but this is the argument, right? As if this represents the entire demand for treasuries, as if us having a hard landing is not going to increase the demand for treasuries. Let's remember that if you go back to 2008, back to 2001, what happens over and over and over again is when you have a recession, interest rates go down, meaning demand for treasuries goes up. Why? Because like Snyder says, safe and liquid assets, right? Safe and liquid. You say, oh, George, well, they're going to print so much money, the dollar is going to implode or blah, 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 blah. Um, okay, well, you got to ask yourself, what are the other central banks doing if the Fed's doing that? And if the dollar's not imploding, if all currencies are going down at the same time, why would one of those other entities outside the United States not want to hold treasuries when the dollar is most likely going down lower relative to their home currency? Therefore, they're increasing their purchasing power. See, people tend to look at this from a U.S.-centric view, and you can't do that. You got to realize that the, the U.S. treasury market is basically the bond market for the entire world. So to sit here with this myopic view that the only thing that matters on the demand side is reverse repo is just completely asinine. So here we go. The assumption that uh, has been on overnight reverse repo drainage was protecting bank reserves that, uh, and, and okay. Let's also remember that where are these uh, reserves going? Well, it is true. They're going from reverse repo up into the uh, reserve accounts, but that wouldn't explain everything because look at the increase in the reserve accounts. And then look at the decrease in reverse repo. The decrease in reverse repo is much higher. So where's the excess going? That would be the TGA, the Treasury General Account, which I thought I had up here, but I guess I don't. So the TGA is making up a bulk of the difference. So you've got that. Even if reserves did matter, uh, they're still on the Fed's balance sheet. And Janet Yellen can just spend $200 billion. The TGA is up to almost $800 billion as we speak. So getting back to the article, the punchline here is that the Fed came out the other day and insinuated that they were done with quantitative tightening. Now, this is a big deal from a psychological standpoint, not really from a mechanical standpoint, because you have authors like in the Financial Times that you're talking about how all these mechanical things mean that the long end of the yield curve is going to blow up and that there's going to be a shortage of liquidity and all these things. And therefore, 
that is going to force the Fed to start doing QE again, which in their view increases liquidity. That's really what I'm getting at here. So then the question becomes, okay, well, the banks really aren't using reserves. How is QE or stopping QT going to impact, quote unquote, liquidity? We got to figure this out because that's how we're going to assess the probabilities of another round of quantitative easing being a tailwind for inflation, being a tailwind for the stock market, et cetera, et cetera. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So now what I want to do is go over to quick drawing here on the whiteboard. So we start off with the Fed having nothing on their balance sheet and the bank having a treasury and a deposit. So the deposit liability, let's just say for $100. Okay. So the Fed comes in and buys a treasury. They do quantitative easing. So how does that impact the balance sheet? Well, you guys know that that treasury would become an asset of the Federal Reserve. And to pay for that, they would create bank reserves. Okay, well, how does that impact the balance sheet of the commercial bank? Well, assuming that the Fed bought through open market operations, bought from a banking entity, and we'll get to the non-banking entity in a moment, what would change is they start with an, a treasury asset, and now they have a bank reserve asset. Well, you guys know as well as I do, a treasury and a bank reserve is basically, basically a cash equivalent. Because you can take that treasury, put it into repo, and instantly get cash. Instantly, instantly, instantly. In fact, you don't even have to put it into repo. You just use it as collateral. So effectively if risk is the same, there is absolutely no difference. No difference, no difference, no difference. From a functional standpoint, from the bank having a treasury or the bank having bank reserves. Okay, so, and the size of the balance sheet really didn't change. So if the Fed is buying from a bank or selling to a bank, I don't know how you could argue that this is somehow doing something, especially if we assume that bank reserves aren't even used by the banking system that they're settling and creating liquidity amongst one another. Okay, now let's assume for a moment that the Fed buys this treasury through QE and in through open market operations, they don't get a select, oh, well, no, 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 I want to buy that treasury. That's being sold by a bank. Now, let's just say that they buy it from a non-bank because a non-bank entity is selling. How does that impact the balance sheet? Okay, so now we've got the example of uh, a different scenario where we're buying from a non-bank. So what would happen is they start with a treasury and a deposit, deposit liability, treasury asset. And then what would happen is the Fed would purchase this treasury by creating bank reserves. And then they would also create a deposit because it's a non-bank entity whose account is a liability of the commercial bank. So basically what happens when all is said and done, the Fed has that treasury and that those bank reserves, their balance sheet has increased. And the bank 
that started with a treasury and a deposit now has bank reserves and the offsetting liability there is that new deposit that was created for the non-bank entity that sold, right? Because if they have a $100 treasury and they sell it to someone, well, then their account balance is going to go up by $100. That means the liability for that commercial bank goes up by $100 as well. So all that has changed here is the balance sheet or the banking system in aggregate total has expanded by that $100. Okay, so how how could you argue that this adds, quote unquote, liquidity? I, I, I don't understand here because it's not like you're giving, what most people assume is that the Fed is just giving the bank a bank reserves and, there, and there's not an offsetting deposit or an offsetting liability. There is. So how, how is this, how is this doing anything other than just increasing the size of the aggregate balance sheet for the commercial banking system. It's not like it's increasing the assets. It's it's not like it's somehow increasing the, the balance sheet capacity. If anything, it's constraining it because it's increasing <laughs> the, the aggregate balance sheet. So now let's get down to below this black line, which represents the same transaction from the standpoint of the seller, but assuming that the Fed is not involved. Okay. So here what we have is we start off both scenarios with that treasury and that deposit liability. And then, so now we assume that this bank bought that treasury from this bank. Okay, well, what changes? Well, the aggregate balance sheet changes because now there's a treasury or two treasuries on the asset side of bank A, and there's two deposit liabilities that bank B started with is now just a deposit asset that's offset by that deposit liability. You say, okay, George, whose liability is bank B's asset? Well, they have an account with bank A. And bank A just increased their account balance by $100. So what you have is the exact same thing, exact same thing as if the Fed purchased from a non-bank entity. Identical. But the Fed isn't even involved. It's just a bank buying from another bank. And I could give you several other ways that they could settle, which would result in the exact same thing or would result in no change to the balance sheet at all. Now, let's assume for a moment that they buy from a non-bank entity. So that treasury comes over here. And bank A now has that treasury. Now, well, now they have two treasuries and they have two deposit liabilities. And then bank B has the treasury and the deposit liability that they started with. Again, the balance sheets in aggregate total are the exact same, exact same. So what you have to ask is, would the Fed buying treasuries somehow prompt an entity to sell? I, I think the answer has got to be no, because if you're an entity that wants to sell, regardless of who's buying, you're just going to buy. And you say, well, George, well, the Fed buying, that's going to dramatically increase the price. No, it's not. QE123, prices went down. Yields went up. So if anything, it had the opposite effect. You see, so what we think is that if the Fed is involved in the transaction, that this is just a game changer. My goodness gracious. This changes and that changes and this change. Oh, my God. Well, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. But if you actually look at the balance sheets, nothing really changes. Nothing. It's the exact same as a bank buying from a bank. It's the exact same as a bank buying from a non-bank. So if someone's selling that treasury, regardless of whether or not the Fed's buying, the impact on the aggregate balance sheet for the commercial banking system is identical. Absolutely identical. So the main takeaway here, guys, is that we should definitely be paying attention to quantitative tightening and quantitative easing. But we should be but we should be looking at it and scrutinizing it through the lens of psychology and not mechanics. The, the QE, QT, it does nothing as far as the, the, the bank's willingness to lend or ability to lend for that matter. Anything to liquidity, nothing, not a zero. Because so many people have bought into this uh, idea that it produces liquidity because they really haven't 
done the homework, in my opinion. Uh, then they go out and, and buy risk assets. It's like the Wizard of Oz. And effectively, any difference? I guess there's not. And that's the whole point, right? That's what the Fed is trying to do. The Fed, th- their balance sheet is irrelevant. The, the Fed is basically an entity that is set up for a giant financial psyop. Everything that they do is a psyop. And you just have to understand that. So you're far better off to ask the question, what is risk right now? What is risk? What does risk look like? Because if risk is increasing, regardless of what the Fed is doing, then liquidity is going to go down. If risk is decreasing, regardless of what the Fed is doing, then liquidity is going to go up. Now, it is true that psychologically, the Fed can impact risk or the perception of risk. I totally get it. But in normal times, you're comparing, let's say, this level of risk to this level of risk. What the Fed is doing on the balance sheet, irrelevant, absolutely irrelevant when it comes to liquidity. The banks, if they have an opportunity to lend and make money, they're going to do that, regardless of QT, regardless of anything like that. So you say, George, what happened with reverse repo or what happened with repo in 2019? That was not a spike, in my opinion, due to lack of liquidity. That was a spike because of the increase in risk. And then when the Fed came in and propped up repo, that was just them giving a psychological signal to the market that, hey, let's lower the risk. We're in here. We've got an infinite balance sheet. Not that they even needed to use it uh, because then those people or those entities out there were willing to go back and lend because the perception of risk decreased. Not from a mechanical standpoint, but simply from a psychological standpoint. And you say, George, well, this is just, uh, uh, this. it's all one and the same. You're just splitting hair, hairs here. Uh, this is a distinction without a difference. No, 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 it's not. It's not. Because if you assume that the Fed's balance sheet matters, uh, mechanically or psychologically, if risk is the same, then it's going to lead you to inaccurate conclusions. As an example, uh, when the Fed's expanding their balance sheet, oh my gosh, increased liquidity, inflation goes up, the stock market goes up. Maybe, maybe not, right? You got to start by answering the question, what does this do to perceived risk? That's the message that I'm really trying to get across with this video. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. You got to check out Rebel Capitalist Live. We got Mike Green, Jeff Snyder, uh, Rich Cooper. We got some red pill stuff. And we got Barnes. We got Viva Fry. We got Libertarian. Mark Moss, Bitcoin. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And Josh is going to be there. You can meet Josh face to face. What an honor that would be. <laughs> and you can get your tickets at Rebel Capitalist Live. You got to get them quick because the prices go up the closer we get to the event.